if you have a Bible, let's turn together to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible nearby, there may be one in front of you on the, in the little rack thing. Or, or we'll put it up on the screen. But um, I'm glad that you're here with us. I know there's a lot of places you could be. Uh, a lot of, you know, Easter weekend tends to be really packed with, with a lot of really great stuff. And so I'm glad that so many of you are here. And um, we're going to, obviously, you know, on a day like today, the topic is kind of already chosen for us, you know. So we're going to talk about resurrection. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever um, had this happen to you, but um, where you think someone is not alive anymore and then you find out that they are. But this happened to me recently, and it was really kind of crazy. Um, I, was, uh, I was at Parkview Baptist, and uh, at Parkview Baptist Church, was the, that's the church that we came out of. So most churches are started by other churches, and so they're kind of our mother church. And I worked there for eight or nine years. There's a guy I worked with named Don Sept, who was one of my favorite people on the planet. And uh, so I was over there, and I, I asked, you know, I said, I, said, uh, I said, is Don Sept still working here? And someone was like, oh, no, he, he died. And I was like, I, it just kind of like, you know, like whenever you find things out, it kind of washed over me for a second. And I was like, how did I not know this? How did I, not, how did I, I didn't hear, I don't know anything about it. And so I was kind of going through my own like, stuff and trying to think of who do I notify and who do I yell at for not telling me, you know, it was all that stuff, just everything. And um, so I was like, what happened? And, you know, and I was just kind of like, wow, wow, wow. And a few minutes later, I said, I just can't believe that, that, that Don passed away and I didn't know it. And the um, guy I was talking to, he said, he said, you talking about like bald-headed Don? And I said, well, I, he wore a baseball cap every day. I don't know. And he was like, oh, no, 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 that, that Don, he's alive. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, and, I, and then I remembered that right toward the end of my time working there, there was another guy named Don that came to work and, uh, and whatever. And it was him, unfortunately, who, who got sick and passed away and, um, and all that stuff. And so I missed that. But it was, so I went from like one end of the spectrum to the other within a matter of minutes. And I didn't know what to do. It was just the craziest thing. So I was there and I went, I found him and, uh, I was like, Don, I said, I said, I, I, I thought that you had died. And he goes, man, I keep hearing that from people. People keep calling me up, <laughs> tell me how glad they are I'm alive, you know? And so we hugged it out and it was a good moment, but uh, make no mistake about it, what happened with Jesus was not the same th- situation. It wasn't a, a thing where he was, turns out he didn't, he didn't really die or anything like that. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is, is just as historically factual as anything else that you would want to be. So, I mean, hundreds of eyewitnesses, uh, both to his death, to his burial, and to his resurrection, uh, it is a fact. And I know this time of year, a lot of News networks and documentaries try to come up with, you know, all these different ways that it could have been a scandal, you know, and that, that kind of stuff. But um, it was not the same kind of situation as I went through. He, he died in front of hundreds of people. He was buried in front of hundreds of people. He was raised from the dead by the power of God, witnessed by hundreds and hundreds of people. This is a factual thing. And so we aren't here to celebrate a myth. This isn't something that we're kind of crossing our fingers that it really happened. There's a, a deep belief within the Christian faith, trusting that this is a legitimate thing. So what in the world does that have to do with us? Why is it such a big deal? I want to spend a few minutes walking through this passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, because the resurrection of Jesus, uh, it changes every single thing 
about history, about the world and how it works, about your life, about my life, about what's happened to you, about what is happening to you and what will happen to you. It is, it is, it is the, um, there's nothing that was more of a game changer. You know, people say that like, oh, that was a game changer. This was the ultimate in game changers right here. So let's look at this, uh, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, so I want to spend a few minutes going through those verses, and then we're going to like quickly plow through the, the rest of the uh, passage there because it all just kind of like spills forward you know, from that moment. So look at verse 3 again, um, and this is going to be one of those times where um, I've heard various uh, things described as like trying to drink from a fire hydrant kind of deal. It's going to be like that. There's going to be a lot of ground covered, and so uh, I'm going to do my best to not... Uh, not overdo it to where you're like, I don't know what that dude was talking about. Okay, So let me give you one word to walk away with tonight. If everything else kind of just gets lost in the clutter, if there's one thing that you can walk away with, aside from the name of Jesus Christ, it is the word hope. It is the word hope. That the resurrection of Jesus is directly tied to hope for us. Okay, So look at the beginning of verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, okay, so let's stop right there. What is, what is mercy? You know, it's like, it's a good church word that we throw around. Uh, mercy is, you can think of it as, as God's goodness toward those who are in misery and distress. This is God reaching into the pain of life. When you have mercy on someone, that's what you're doing. You're saying, I'm not going to sit back and watch you suffer I'm going, to, I'm going to reach into that wound. I'm going to be there with you in this moment. I'm going to tend to you in those kinds of ways. What were we in pain from? Why were we in need of mercy? Well, sin had entered into the world. And the penalty for sin is death. And so uh, everything in the world had been broken. You look around, and it doesn't take, doesn't take long to figure out, like, yeah, this is probably not right. You know, all the injustice in the world, all of the pain, all the suffering, all of all the, the dark sides of life, you look around, and you kind of look at this God who's good and loving, you're like, this can't be what you had in mind, right? And God is saying, exactly, it's not what I, what I had in mind. That the choices of man have broken the world, and there's a separation that happens from God, because God being holy, will just his holiness will destroy anything that is less than holy, just, just naturally. So just like light will dispel all darkness, even, though, even the smallest light will dispel darkness. God's holiness will destroy sin, and the problem is that you and I are, were sinners. So God did not want his holiness to destroy his children, so there's this, this tension that's there. And so, as a, as a means of protecting us from His holiness, there's this separation that happened. If you remember Adam and Eve in the garden, there comes a point when God puts them outside of the garden. And 
from one perspective, you can be like, man, he's kind of mean to them, right? I mean, they, he said, don't eat from this tree. They ate from that tree, and he kicked them out of the garden. But he kicked them out of the garden to separate them from him. It was this gracious move. Rather than them be destroyed by his holiness, he said, I'm going to create this separation, and there's going to be a plan to fix what you just broke. And the plan would involve God himself coming to the earth. So the Old Testament is always pointing forward to this Redeemer who is going to come. A lot of confusion about that. Would he be, you know, would it be a, a man? Would it be God? Where he, would he be from? Would he, would he be military or political or whatever? But the answers to all those things are found in Christ. Was he God? Yes. Was he man? Yes. Was he political? No, but politics are impacted. Was he military? No, but, but uh, you know... The military stuff is impacted there. What kind of king is he? He's the kind of king who goes to his people and meets them in their distress. So, from God's love, we look back at this verse, verse 3. According to his great mercy, from this deep compassion of seeing his children suffer and be in pain and be separate from him, he decided to act. Sending Jesus the Son to come live, die, and be resurrected from the grave. So according to his great mercy, and then the next part, in verse 3, he has caused us to be born again. Alright, so let's hit pause again. He's caused us to be born again. Jesus has this really great conversation in John chapter 3, um, right before he gets to like John 3.16, you know, explaining that. He's talking with, with a, a man named Nicodemus, and they're talking about being born again, and Jesus makes this statement, uh, and this is verses 5 and 6. It says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So there's this second birth that happens. So you're born naturally into this world. Of, that'll be the of flesh part. But God designed us to be born again of his spirit. And so here, Peter is saying, I want to bless God because his mercy led him to, to this plan that would cause us to be born a second time. Born spiritually. Just like Jesus was talking about. And Peter is now looking backwards and saying, like, this, is what, this is what Jesus meant when he was telling Nicodemus, you have to be born of flesh and spirit. So that comes from God, this loving place of God where he would cause us to be born again. This was not an accident. It was caused. It was purposed. It was, it was the, God's plan was to allow us to be born spiritually again. He says he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's that word. There's the buzzword for today. The, besides Jesus, the buzzword, hope. But it's not just any kind of hope. It's a hope that's alive. So what is hope? Hope is this confident expectation of what's going to happen. Sometimes, you know, we think of hope as like, well, I just kind of cross my fingers and like hope this happens. Like hope is a wish, you know. It's a more mature way of saying, I really wish this would happen, you know. But it's not. Hope is very different. Hope has confidence to it. Like I'm very hopeful that this is going to be the case. It's like, well, where, where does that come from? Well, Peter says that our hope is not just, it's not just hope, it's a living hope. It's alive and it's, it's breathing and it's acting. 
So why would, why would he say that, that we are born again to a living hope? There's this, this idea of life that's coming. And he says it right there in the next phrase. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is through his resurrection that our hope is born. And the reason it's alive is because he is alive. The resurrection of Jesus is the, it's the who, what, when, where, how, why of our hope. It's all of it. So our hope is not, uh, is not found in circumstances. Our hope is not found in possessions or money or people. Our hope is found in a person. Because Jesus is alive, you and I can have hope. Here's, here's, how, they, here's how they tie together. So here's how, the, here's how the resurrection and hope tie together. Okay, So let's, let's go back a week. There's the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus rides in on a donkey, fulfilling a prophecy that said that that's how the king would arrive. He goes through his day, prepare, uh, through his week, preparing for Passover and those kinds of things. He celebrates the Passover meal on Thursday night with his disciples. He goes to Gethsemane. He's praying. He's betrayed by one of them. He's arrested. Early Friday morning, he's, there's a trial and the kind of back and forth trial and all this kind of crazy stuff. He's convicted. Um, he is beaten, crucified, dies is buried, and on Sunday he is raised from the dead. Jesus makes a statement when he's hanging on the cross. He makes several statements, but one of them is, he just simply says, it is finished. So what is, what, what is finished? What's the it And it is finished? So on the cross, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. So, this, so our sins were transferred to him, and he literally became sin hanging on that cross. The punishment for sin is death. And so remember when I, a few minutes ago when I said that the holiness of God would obliterate sin, just like light would darkness, and so God created a separation. He creates a separation. Jesus comes in. That separation in Christ, in the, in, the, in, the, in the spirit realm, that separation is then taken away. So all our sin goes on to him, and the punishment of death is put on to him. And both of those things are happening at one time. So as he's dying this physical death, he's also dying this spiritual death. And so at the end of his life, when he says it is finished, what he's saying is, there's no more sin to be transferred to me. And there's no more wrath, there's no more death to come to him because of it. That that entire transaction, that separation, all that stuff coming together, that was all complete. So there's no more sin to atone for. There's nothing left I have to do. I've come here for specific purposes, and now it is finished. That's Jesus' statement. He dies, they bury him. On Sunday, he ain't there anymore. Sunday is God the Father's statement. Jesus says it is finished on Friday. The Father says it is finished on Sunday. 
He said, yes. I approve of the sacrifice. Yes, it really is finished. Yes, there really is nothing left to atone for. Yes, all of, all of the sin that was put onto uh, Jesus, yes, all the, the death and punishment and wrath has been absorbed. It is completely done. The transaction is through. Now we can become the righteousness of God. On Friday, Jesus says it's finished. On Sunday, the Father says, I totally agree. That's how hope and the resurrection are tied together. That's why our hope can be alive. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That if God didn't raise Jesus from the dead, there would still be something left to pay for. There would still be punishment. There would still be wrath. There would still be a separation. So if the resurrection didn't happen, Paul says, we are, he says, we are fools. You should, feel, you should feel bad for us if this didn't really happen. But hundreds of witnesses and dozens who were killed for this quote-unquote myth doesn't really, doesn't really make sense. It makes more sense that Jesus really was raised from the dead because Jesus really was the Son of God and that God really did keep His promises and that it really is finished and that we are not sitting in our sins anymore, that it really is done with. Everything about us is confirmed by the resurrection. Therefore, you and I have a hope that is alive because Jesus is alive. Whatever it is that's going on in life, anything, has hope breathed into it because of the resurrection. There's this hymn. Remember hymns? Yeah, hymn. It's because he lives, I can what? Face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know what? What is it? He holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. The resurrection matters. It totally fits into whatever you, is going on in your life right now. It's not just about, a, it's like, oh, I'm glad it's covering my past, but what about this, you know? What about, what about work? You know, what about my job? What about my kids? What about this family tension? What about marriage? What about money? What about this, 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 this? There's hope in all of those things. Why? Well, because he's alive. And that sounds like such a preachery thing to say, doesn't it? Like, well, you know, Jesus is alive, so press on. But it's true, you know. Just because it's a poorly delivered message sometimes doesn't mean that it's like we should throw it out the window. It says, out of his great mercy, he reached into our pain, saving us causing us to be born again to a living hope through the, resurrection, the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then look at the next verse. Where am I? I'm lost. Okay, look at verse 4. We were born to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So it's not just this, this past thing. 
Here he's saying, like, hey, don't, don't forget what's down the road for you as well. There's this inheritance. So when he talks about it being imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and being kept in heaven for you, it's whatever you're inheriting, is like it's all safe and secure. That God himself has guaranteed this future for you. So what, what are we inheriting exactly? You don't need to turn to it. We're going to put this up on the screen in just a second. But let me read a few other verses first. Romans eight seventeen. Part of it says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That you and I have inherited everything that Jesus has inherited. That we are heirs with that. So we've been adopted into his family. And Jesus, because he's not, like, he's not selfish and he's, not, you know, he's just the most generous king ever, says, uh, hey, how about we just share all this? That's the plan. He wins this victory and shares the spoils with his brothers and sisters. That's us. If you're a Christian, that's you. Think of it this way. In the, in the parable of the prodigal son, you know, the one that runs away and uh, comes back and there's this party and stuff. And the son, uh, the, uh, the younger son is the one who runs away. The older son is the one who stayed. And him and dad are having a conversation. And the older son's a little frustrated. And so in the story, the star of the story is the father. Okay. What does the father tell the older son? He says, look, all that I have is yours. So when we're thinking about inheritance, that's a great summary statement to think about. What are we inheriting? We're inheriting everything that God has. And what does God have? Everything. That we are literally inheriting the universe. So because Jesus was raised from the dead... This inheritance of us inheriting everything is now secure, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it can't fade, it's being kept for us. Let me read, and again, don't turn to it, just, just be blessed by this like, future glimpse for you. Two passages from Revelation, this is 21, 1-7. through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. You know, inheritance in our in like our world tends to be what what am I gonna get? I don't know if it really happens, like you see in movies or TV shows sometimes where like someone passes away and their lawyer calls a meeting, you know. They're like, All right, let me read the will. It's like you get grandma's pearls and, you know, four hundred dollars and then you get the house and the, I don't know if that really is how it works. I don't know. But when people think inheritance, they tend to think, What am I gonna get? But you know what inheritance is really about? Or it should be about? It should be about relationship. It should absolutely be about the relationship that is there. It's a loved one 
sharing their things with other people that they love because you mean something to them. I was, I was part of an inheritance sharing one time. I watched my grandfather hand out the inheritance to his children. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm watching what real inheritance should look like. Because here's a loving father handing things to his kids that he loves. They don't give a rip what's in that envelope. They don't give a rip what's on that list. He's saying, I love you. I've been preparing for your future because I love you, and I want to bless you. That's inheritance. So our inheritance, yes, we could sit here and think, and think about the, the new earth and all the things that are there and all the things that won't be there and how this is gonna, all these kind of things are going to be, but you know what the best, you know what the focal point of the new earth needs to be and the focal point of our inheritance? It's there right there. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Personally, God will wipe away your tears. Like, what are you crying about in heaven? I I don't know. Eric Clapton was not right. There apparently will be tears in heaven. However... You could tell him I said that. (laughs) However, you aren't there to wipe away your own tears. The God himself tends to you. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy. And true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. And then in 22, 1 through 5, it says, Then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life, which was just referenced. Bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. Here, Here we go. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. And his name will be on their foreheads. I don't know what that means. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You have inherited a future that is filled with Jesus without a hindrance, without any of the stuff that makes it so difficult sometimes to sense his nearness Sometimes it's hard, like you know, you know on paper, you know in your brain, like I know he's like everywhere, but it's, he feels really distant right now. I know that he cares for me, but I look around my life and I kind of find a lot of evidence that says that maybe he doesn't really give a rip. Life here is hard. A lot of times his presence, it's veiled, you know, there's, there's this, these hindrances around us where, where it's just such a struggle sometimes. 
and on the new earth, all those things will be removed, and it'll just be him. It'll just be him. He is the inheritance. All the other stuff, it just that's just bonus. And it's an amazing bonus. So because Jesus was raised from the dead, the inheritance for a Christian is secure. And that's what it looks like. So your past, there it is. Your present, we're about to talk about. Your future is kept for you. Look at verse 5. Back in 1 Peter. It's kept for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That God is guarding you, He's protecting you, and your faith in Him. That's what salvation is about. It's not about your works. It's not about trying harder. It's about recognizing Jesus came to save me. In His mercy, He, he came, He died. God raised Him from the dead to cause me to be born to a living hope. Verse 6. Now we get to the present. In this you rejoice. Though, and this is going to make, this is make some of you mad. Alright, so it's okay. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Bible. Alright. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Sometimes it's easy to look at verses in, that, in the Bible and feel like your problems are being, like someone is telling you, like, it's just not a big deal. Paul calls them light and momentary affliction, you know. And sometimes it's frustrating. We're like, no, no, don't, don't try and minimize my pain right now. Don't try and say what I'm dealing with right now is not legit, you know, that it's, that it's not worthy of, you know, the, that kind of, the energy that it's taking from me, the toll that it's taking on me. That's not what Paul means. That's not what Peter means here either. Saying, in this you rejoice, this being everything I've said previously, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, because Jesus is alive, you can make it through whatever it is you're facing right now. Saying, put the resurrection of Jesus at like in front and center of you as you work your way through whatever it is that is tearing you up. Whatever the trial looks like. And he's right. It's, they're, these things are they're momentary in light of eternity. You're going to make it. You know how I know, you know how I can say that? It's like, well, Jesus is alive. So, so I, know, I know that you're going to be okay. You say, but what about this, and what about this, and what about this? And I'm, I'm not trying to say those things aren't tough. I'm just saying, big picture, you need to know it's going to be okay. And Jesus whispers hope into those things. Jesus whispers through the scriptures, hey, don't forget, I'm, I'm alive. 
I, I conquered death and sin. You're not separate from God anymore because of me. You're not lost and hopeless anymore because of me. And yeah, you might, what you're going through right now is painful, but don't forget the same mercy that's, that's, that set this whole thing in motion is, this, is the mercy that's met, that, that's meeting you in your struggles. So I guess pastorally, my encouragement to you would be don't lose sight of the impact that Jesus being alive has on whatever it is you might be facing. And I know not everyone is in the, like in, in the deep you know, parts of some sort of trial or affliction or something like that. I know everyone isn't there, but some of you are. I know you are. I think through the scriptures, God wants to remind us of just how much hope is found in Christ. He's saying, just hold on to it. In Hebrews, hope is described as an anchor. So you let that anchor drop deep into the ocean. What does an anchor do? It holds you, holds you in place. And yeah, you kind of get beat up, you know, kind of the winds blow and all that kind of stuff, whatever, on the boat, but hope is what keeps you grounded. And so if you've been going through something and you haven't, you know, like put the anchor down, then maybe Easter Sunday is a reminder. Like, hey, you got this like six trillion ton anchor just sitting there. Drop it. <laughs> Let it hold you in place. And if you haven't been, and you're like, why has this been so difficult? Then maybe that's the missing piece. Last few verses. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, him being Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I think, I think Peter is helping us feel a little bit better about the fact that we've never, we didn't lay eyes on the resurrected Jesus, you know. We haven't seen him. He's saying, hey, don't forget, there's a massive element of faith in this. Don't feel weird about that. It's part of it. God designed it this way. For us to say, you know, I've never seen Jesus with my own eyes, but I trust him with my eternity and my life. Say, don't feel strange about that. Embrace it. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Okay, what in the world does that mean? Basically this. In the Old Testament, as I said earlier, they're always looking forward to this Messiah that was going to come. And when it says, the, talks about this, predicting the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, here is what the prophets of the Old Testament said. The, the Messiah would suffer and die, and he would be raised from the dead. It was all tied up in there. That this Messiah would conquer. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. 
things into which angels long to look. What does all this mean? It means that God keeps his promises. That the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, was those believers, those saints were hanging on to this promise that God had made. And in Christ, his promises are kept. So you and I today, we're trying to make it through life. You know, We're trying to, to learn to live this, this abundant life, to be disciples of Christ, to share his love and grace and compassion with others. There's all this stuff going on. In the midst of whatever it is we're facing, we can have hope because God keeps his promises. How do we know that? That Jesus is living. It all goes back to that. That he is alive. And because that is true, nothing is the same again. And so if you walked in here and you're going through some stuff and it's just been tough, maybe through all this, God just wants to encourage you and breathe hope into whatever it is you're facing with the simple, just the simple truth that he is alive. Therefore, everything is going to be okay. And even if things get worse before they get better, you know what? It's still going to be okay. Because He is faithful, He is perfect, and He loves you. He cares for you, He cares for me. And so I don't know where this meets you. I I say that almost every Sunday. I don't know how this fits into where you are, but I bet you do. And maybe, maybe it doesn't fit, maybe you're like, I'm not sure right now, but maybe down the road you will. Or... That's one of the things that I, that I love slash hate about what I get to do. Is that I'm like, I come in here and I'm like, I've been preparing for this and asking, you know, all this kind of stuff, whatever. And it's out there and I'm like, okay, so now, now you've got to be responsible with whatever God's stirring, you know. It's not on me. And part of me loves that because it's like, oh, I can take a deep breath, you know. Part of me hates it too because you want to you wanna be able to, like, to sit down with everybody, you know, and we all want to take care of each other and let's, all right, let's figure out how this impacts every single person. We have a sign-up sheet over here and, well, you know, whatever. But the thing is, when the veil was torn, it's symbolic of the fact that God, God dwells in us. So you and Jesus are perfectly capable of working this out. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a priest. You don't need anybody else. Now, God surrounded us with people to help with that, and that's important. I don't mean to throw that out the window, but in a primary sense, it's about you and the Lord getting together. Maybe you just need to have the simple prayer of, God, will you help me to have hope? Will you help me to have hope? And you might be here, and you might be hearing a lot of these things, and you're like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian in the first place. But you don't have to leave here and wonder that. And we don't, we don't really do like an altar call invitation type thing like in some churches. And, but I can guarantee you this, there's people all over the place who would love to have that conversation with you. And I'm one of them. So when we're done here tonight, don't feel like you've got to go get in a car and wonder stuff anymore. Just walk around and just find someone who looks like, looks like they might know what's going on. Be like, hey, can I talk to you? You know, if they're like, oh, not me, go find someone else. It'll be fine. <laughs> but you don't have to leave. This hope is alive. Jesus is alive. 
And so the way that we respond here most Sundays is we just kind of sing it out. And that's what the saints have done for a long time, is just respond in these ways. These are prayers. Um, so that's what we're going to do. So why don't you stand up. Let me pray for us as the band makes their way back up. God, there's really no reason that, uh, no logical reason anyway, that we should be celebrating this stuff. I mean, you really have had every right to just leave us in our pain. But because you are rich in mercy, and because of your great love, you, you stepped in. I'm thankful for this time in the church calendar, the season of Lent, the events during Holy Week, just the pain of Good Friday and the joy of Resurrection Sunday, just the whole story that is is told. God, how can we ever question your love for us? How can we ever wonder if you really care about us, if you really give a rip about us? How can we ever wonder if you are near or if you're able? But you know, you know that we do, we wonder all those things. And that's probably why you told us to gather together consistently. It's probably why you made sure we had scriptures in our hands that we could read. Why you had, we had people around us who can encourage us and pray. It's probably why your spirit lives in us to guide us along. God, you have set us up to live the life that we want, the life that you want for us. You have freed us from everything that hinders and you're patiently teaching us how to live in this hope that is alive. God, only you can meet a room like this. Only you can meet us where we are with this many different kinds of people. Thank you that one one message of hope because of the resurrection, this, this beautiful story that we celebrate is able to meet us where we are. And as we sing, I pray, God, that you would cause some things to come alive in us. That you would, some of the things that have been hindering would be thrown off there would be some breakthrough tonight, that there would, um, there would be a deep sense of your care for us and your presence with us and your power at work, that those who've been finding excuse, excuses and reasons to dismiss hope, would see the beauty of what you offer us when you offer us yourself. And so as we celebrate, as we sing, and as we lift you high, may you just move in these closing moments.